to uh, pray with me as we now come to the scripture. Father, I pray for us, for me, as we come now to hear this word, I pray, God, that you ring it in our, in our ears and um, establish it in our minds, in our very lives, uh, that, Father, that, that, we, that we get it, uh, that you would work it deep within us, that we wouldn't be a people that simply shows up and leaves or a people that goes through the motions in the context of our lives. But, Father, that your word would be powerful in us, that we would take it as it is, the very word of God, thus seriously listen to it, hear it, apply it. Father, take away all the distractions, external, internal. Overcome our sin that causes us to turn away from truth. To help me to share it in a way that's right and helpful in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to John in chapter 17. John chapter 17, please. <clears throat> I've been on this prayer for some time, this prayer of Jesus. I want to read the whole thing. I won't do that every Sunday, but I haven't been here in a while, so I want to just refresh us, and then I'll turn our attention to a piece of it. John chapter 17, verse 1. This is the word of God. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has, has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. 
Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I must say, I feel rather like the guest minister this morning. Um, I do want to say thank you for your indulgence uh, this past year, especially as I've been uh, doing some things for our denomination. I uh, turned over the moderator's gavel, which uh, was a great thrill for me uh, just the other day at our General Assembly meeting. I take on some new responsibilities for this year, but they won't be as, as travel intense as this past year. So I I don't think I'll be gone nearly as much, so I thank you for that. I also thank you um, for your indulgence and your kindness uh, to me in, in this month as I've been pursuing these medical, this medical thing for me. Um, uh, I'm having surgery tomorrow, and so uh, we'll be laying low through the month of July. So again, ask your indulgence to, to, uh, for, for all of that. For a person who hasn't taken a sick day in 19 years, this is really a challenge. Uh, and... Uh, so pray for my wife that, uh, that, that I'll be good through this process and uh, not undertake that which, which I shouldn't. Uh, but I do have a stack of things. <laughs> oh, my. But let me uh, catch us up. Let me just review very quickly where we are. Then I want to just take a piece uh, of this prayer as we, uh, as we consider it today. Remember the context. Jesus... He's facing the crucifixion. He's coming up to the crucifixion. Uh, this is the night that he was betrayed. And so he's, he's going to, to, to face the cross. Um, John, the apostle whose gospel we find this prayer, has been pulling us up to this throughout his entire work. Because as, as Jesus has been walking through and ministering and so forth, there's, a, there's an overriding expression that continues to go, the hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. And then just in, the, in, in chapter 12, just before Jesus meets with his disciples on that night that he was betrayed, the hour has come, and the hour had come for the Son of Man, for Jesus himself, to be glorified. And that's echoed in this prayer as we begin. Father, he says, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And so we see that, that the hour for which Jesus had come would be for his Father to be glorified, that his Father would be seen, would be, would be made manifest, would be revealed, would be made known through Jesus. And not only that, that Jesus himself would be glorified, that he would be made known. Jesus, you remember, in the incarnation came in humility. He, his glory was in some very real sense set aside as the Christmas hymn writer put it. His deity was veiled in flesh uh, that is not readily seen. Time to time it would be seen. People would see his glory. But, 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 but generally speaking, he looked, walked, talked just like another man. And, and so his, his glory, his deity veiled in flesh. And now he's saying, take that veil away. Enable people to see me. Glorify me, Father. So he's, he's coming now to be, to be glorified, to be seen. And through his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his rule, his ultimate return, Jesus is seen in all of that. And so now he comes. And we see in this prayer that he comes for a particular purpose. 
He says that even though he's been given authority over all flesh, that is over all people, that he has come that he might give eternal life to those whom the Father had given him. And so he has that particular focus, that particular purpose. He's going to come to give eternal life to those who belong to the Father, those the Father had given to him, and they specifically would receive eternal life. And we learn what eternal life is. That eternal life, Jesus said, is knowing you, Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. There is no eternal life apart from knowing and trusting in Christ. There's no eternal life apart from knowing that he's the prophet and trusting that he's brought brought the true word concerning God and concerning us. There's no eternal life apart from Jesus as being our, our high priest, that is, as he making sacrifice, sacrifice of himself for our sins. There's, there's no eternal life apart from believing, from knowing that. There's no eternal life apart from knowing Jesus as the Christ, the anointed one, not only our prophet, priest, but also the king, the one who's come to conquer sin and death and conquer our own hearts uh, that we might follow after him. There's no eternal life apart from that. Now, just as an aside, if ever anyone comes to you to take a survey and you identify yourself as an evangelical, please, when they ask the question, is there any other way to salvation other through faith in Jesus, please tell them no. I say that because the latest poll says that 57% of evangelicals say that there is another way to, to, to salvation and eternal life apart, other than Christ. That's utterly impossible, right? So get it right. Now, <laughs> I have so little confidence in people who take surveys and people who write them that the survey instrument itself may be confusing and perhaps the way they put the question is confusing. I don't know. But, but just be safe. Right? Just, just so the newspapers have something good to print for a change. That here's the truth. And again, remember, this isn't something arrogant on our parts. We're not saying that this is our way of salvation and everybody else has to conform. This is God's way of salvation. And the great news about this way of salvation is that it's, it works. It, it really works. It satisfies the need. It works because it satisfies the wrath of God. It works because it draws us to the Savior. It, it works. It works because it, it means that, that we're not dependent upon ourselves, which is our problem in the first place. You see, if we could do it ourselves, then we wouldn't need Jesus. There'd be other ways and however. But, but we can't. We've, we've already failed. We've already sinned. We've already come under the wrath of God. And therefore, the only way is, is for someone to come and do it for us. Someone who is worth us. Someone who comes who lives perfectly to take our sin. Lives perfectly for us, obeying the Father. And takes the penalty for our sin so that we can be, be forgiven, freed of it. And so, it's the only way. So, please, let's, let's really work to get this right. Spread the news to all your friends. Uh, when pollsters come, uh, either identify yourself as an unbeliever <laughs> or if you identify yourself as a Christian, as an evangelical, then let's get, this, let's get this right. But this is right from this prayer. Eternal life is knowing you, Father, and knowing Jesus Christ whom you've sent. There's no salvation apart from Jesus. He really is the way, the truth, and the life and all of that. And it's in the knowing of him and the following after him that we experience this life that is from God. And then, of course, we 
go on to, to realize that Jesus is praying, of course, and he's praying for all believers. He's praying for those who, who believed in him even then, were following him even then in, in the sense in which they trusted him. And, and, and also then for all those who would believe in him through their witness, which is everybody, everybody else. And so Jesus is, isn't praying, he says, for the world, but he's praying for those the Father had given him. Therefore, he's praying for those he, had, he would give eternal life to. Uh, he's praying for believers. That's, and he's praying specific things. He's praying that they be kept in his Father's name that is secure. He's praying that they be uh, kept from the evil one. He's praying that they have his very joy within them. He's praying that they be sanctified in the truth, that is, that they, they walk in holiness before him. He's praying that they be one, even as he and the Father are one. He's praying that they would be with him and that they would see his glory, those he's praying. And there are particular characteristics as we come through this prayer of that particular group of people for whom Jesus is praying. We've seen that he says for this group of people, this group of people the Father had given him, that he might give eternal life to them, that he would reveal the Father to them, that they would believe and he would give them eternal life. Not only that, but, but we read that these very ones are ones, as he puts it, uh, in whom Christ himself is glorified. And this particular group of people have a special kind of relationship with the world. He says, you're in it, but you're not of it. And he also says that because of belonging to Jesus, the world will hate this particular group of people. But even so, Jesus is sending them, sending us into this world. So we're in it, not of it, maybe hated by it, but certainly sent into it, not to escape it, not to avoid it, sent into it. He says these very ones are ones who are loved by his Father. Now what I want to do today, if God will help me, is just take up just one expression out of the end of verse 10, where Jesus said, I am glorified in them. Jesus says of us, I am glorified in them. Now that's an astounding, remarkable, even staggering statement, it appears to me, to think that the Lord of glory, the Lord of all, the creator of the universe, is glorified in us. That is to say, that through us, in us, he is shown, he's revealed, he's seen, he's manifested the very glory of Christ in and through us. An amazing kind of statement. But in one sense, we should expect it because, because Jesus came to be glorified. Uh, his Father would glorify him, would reveal him, would show him. The Holy Spirit even comes after Jesus ascends with the purpose of glorifying uh, Jesus. For instance, in, in, in John in chapter 16 and verse 12, we read this. Jesus is saying, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That, that's the sense of the Holy Spirit glorifying Jesus, taking that which is true about Jesus and declaring it to others, showing it forth. And so the Father glorifies the Son, the Spirit glorifies the Son. We are to glorify the Son. That is to say, we are to reflect Him. 
people will be able to see us, listen to us, and get a sense of Jesus. Right? The very we're to be he's to be glorified in us. Again, no huge surprise because everything in all of history is to be summed up in him. Paul, the apostle, puts it like this in Ephesians in chapter 1. And this is going to be a bit awkward. I'm going to pick up mid-sentence. But I'm, I'm after something, so just listen till we get there. Verse 9, he says, Make known, Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, it is God's purpose for history, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. All things in heaven and earth, you see, are to be united in Jesus, summed up in Jesus, understood in relationship to Jesus. Everything, everything is going to be understood in relationship to Jesus. Its purpose be revealed in relationship to Jesus. Everything united in him, united uh, in Jesus. He's the focal point. John begins his gospel by telling us that Jesus is the Word. It is the very expression of God. The very expression of the power of God in creation. The very expression of the love of God and the grace of God in our salvation. The very expression of the wisdom of God. He is the Word. In the passage we read out of Colossians chapter 1 as our affirmation of faith this morning, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn among all creation. Powerful, powerful testimony about our Lord Jesus. In Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's this Jesus. And through Him, in Him, to reconcile all things. To bring all things to be united in Him. The author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus himself made this claim. He said, I'm the bread of life. So you can't live without me. If you want spiritual life, you can't live without me. I'm the bread of life. He says, I'm the light of the world. You can't see without me. You can't see rightly anything, most especially God. But you can't see yourself even. Apart from my light, I'm the very light of the world. He said, I'm the door, the gate. He said, you can't enter in to the very presence of God. You can't enter into relationship with God unless you come through me. He says, I'm the good shepherd. He says, he says, you won't be nourished unless you follow after me. You won't be protected unless I'm the one who protects you. You won't be led unless I'm the one who leads you. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He says, even though you die, apart from me, you'll just suffer eternal, life, eternal death. But in me, you'll be resurrected to, to real eternal life. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There isn't any other way to God apart from me. There isn't any other thing that's reliable. There's no other truth apart from me. I'm the only one who brings life. He says, I'm the true vine. Unless you're connected to me, then you'll shrivel up and die. You need me because I'm the true vine. See, so Jesus places himself right in the very center of everything. There isn't nourishment, there isn't life, there isn't leading, there isn't protection, uh, there isn't anything spiritually good apart from Jesus. He's the very center of everything. And he says of us that he is glorified in us. Now the question is, do you understand yourself? Do I understand myself like that? Is that my self-awareness? Is that my identity? 
that I am a person through whom Christ is glorified. That's the very purpose of my life. What greater purpose would there be other than that? I don't know what you do when you get up in the morning. <clears throat> I don't even want to know. Um, but, uh, but how you prepare at least yourself for the day, what kind of thought process you go through. If you just sort of bumble for the co- coffee pot and bumble for the door and get out the door and you find yourself wherever it is that you start your day. Or if perhaps you might consciously engage something that reminds you of who you are. And I would suggest of all the things that you could list of who you are, it might be very, very helpful to focus your mind on this, that I am one through whom Christ is glorified. Meaning, my life is to reflect Him. My life is to show that He really is the bread of life. My life is to show that He really is the light of the world. My life is to show that He is the gate and the good shepherd. My life is to show that He's the resurrection and the life. My life is to show that He's the way, the truth, and the life. My life is to show that He he indeed is this true vine. That's what my life is to show. I'm to reflect Him, to reveal Him. When people see me, they're to see Jesus because the Scripture tells us that we live to declare the excellencies, the praises, we live to declare the excellencies of this one who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what our lives are to be, you see. We're to be that kind of of person. We're to be a a, a church collectively, the apostle tells us, who, who is to reveal the manifold wisdom of God. People are to look at us collectively and and see the wisdom of God, that He is the one, God is, who through Christ can reconcile people to Himself and to each other. We're to show this manifold wisdom of God. We're to be the aroma of Christ to God. So much are we to be the expression of the glory of Christ that the Father is to be able to smell Jesus in us. We're to to be the aroma of Christ to God. And not only that, we're to be the aroma of Christ in the world. And the way that that manifests itself is that we're to be the aroma of life to those who are being saved, but to those who are perishing, we're to be the smell of death. That they're to be able around us to realize their own ultimate destruction because we are ones in whom Christ is glorified. We're to be conformed to the image of Christ. More specifically, the apostle tells us that we're to put on Christ so much our identity that we're to put him on. He explains in Ephesians chapter 4 that we're to take off then the old self and consciously Put on the new self. Put on Christ. Put on the new self, which is being conformed to Christ, being conformed to the knowledge and the image of our Creator. That's who we are. That's who we're to be. Paul speaks in Galatians that we died with Christ, but nevertheless we live. But not us, but Christ who lives in us. And of course, Jesus was sent into the world to be glorified. And therefore, as he puts it, he sends us into the world that he might be glorified through us. People are to see this. And this expression that I'm about to use is so stinking trite that I I even hate to use it. But it's so true. But it really is trite. But it really is true. Trite and true. 
that we may be the only Bible people read. You get the point of that. It's, you know, it's hallmarkish, right? But, but it's really true that, 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 that we're, people see, with, with a first wave perhaps, what people know to be true about the gospel. And if we're not glorifying Jesus, then we are glorifying someone else. So they're going to be confused at best about the gospel if not turned away from it. But we're to, we're to be the very glory of Christ. And that's certainly the testimony of many. I've heard many testimonies of, of how you all, how we came to faith in Christ. And often what I hear is something like this. that I wasn't a believer, especially for those who came to faith teenage years and beyond. I wasn't a believer, but, but I knew somebody who was, and there was something about their life. That little expression is heard over and over and spoken over and over in people's testimonies. There was something about their life. What was it about their life? What was about their life was some aspect of the glory of Jesus, some aspect of the person of Christ, some aspect of Jesus that was, that was just oozing in some way out of them. It may have been subtle, it may have been dramatic, who knows, but there was something, whether it was peace, whether it was joy, as Peter said, we need to always be ready to make a defense for the joy, the hope, the hope that's within us. When people ask, always be ready to make that defense. So it must come out of us in some way. But people make that expression. Even our kids who were raised up in our church and who hear the gospel from the time, many of them, they may not hear it, but we tell it to them even before they're born. Uh, and uh, uh, I don't know about you, but ideas, idealist, idealistic uh, first children, dads, often speak to their wife's stomach. <laughs> I did. Um, it's quite a funny thing, I suppose. But, you know, you talk to this child. And you, what do you tell them? I told my kids about Jesus, you know, right through the belly button. Uh, but uh, 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 so we tell them about Jesus all the time. But even you remember, part of our baptismal vows with our kids is that we'll what? Not only teach them, not only pray for them, but we'll live our lives in such a way that will draw them to Christ. Now, how is it that we do that? We do that by being the very glory of Christ in front of, amazingly so, in front of our kids. I hope our kids grow up and other kids then that come into the fellowship of our church, perhaps even without their parents, but kids who come into our church and they say there's something about that group of people that's different than any other group of people I've ever been around. And I hope what that is, I hope what that's identified to be is the glory, is the glory of Christ. And thus we carry with us the name of Christ. And as we do, Christ is known through us, by us, as we're the very glory of Christ. That's our identity. That's who we are. Just like an ambassador of a country carries the country's name and therefore the country is known by that ambassador, Christ is known by us. Just like moms and dads and kids carry a name, the name of the family upon them, that family is known by them, just like players on a team and coaches on a team carry the name of that team with them. That team is known by them. Christ is known by us. And in a way that teachers are glorified in their students as their students learn and, and progress and, and go on and all of that, Christ is glorified in and through, in and through us, just like children children glorify their parents. <laughs> Sometimes not so good. 
Christ is glorified in us. As husbands are glorified in their brides, Christ is glorified in his bride. Now, what does this really mean for us? Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher of some note, relatively dead, meaning he hasn't, he hasn't been dead that long. I like, to, I like them to be dead longer than this before I quote them. But, um, but he's quotable. Um, he puts it like this. He says, we, meaning Christians, meaning the church, we are meant to be a living proof of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has finished the work which his Father sent him to do. Let me read that again. Lloyd-Jones says this, We are meant to be a living proof of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has finished the work which his Father sent him to do. And what we mean by that, of course, is that Jesus came to give eternal life. And in giving eternal life, we're to live that out. We're to be marked out as people. We're to be seen as people who indeed have eternal life. And so as we think about Jesus, we think about a number of things that could be said about him that need to be, needs to be glorified or reflected through us, that he is the Savior and Lord, as the Scriptures say. So we speak of Jesus as Savior. What we're glorifying here is that he has saved us. Jesus is glorified in us simply, or at least firstly, by saving us. We're to his glory. How else could we be saved apart from Christ? He's the very one who's done it. He's the very one who's, who's come and been, as I mentioned earlier, the very prophet of God to speak the truth. He's the one who's come to be the very sacrifice for our sins. He's the very one who's come as king to conquer our hearts and to conquer sin and death on our behalf. All things which we could not have done for ourselves. He came to live that perfect life. We could not have done that. He's glorified in us by saving us. He's saying there's a, people, a group of people who needed loved, who needed rescued, and I've rescued them. He's the Savior. He's the Lord. He's the one to whom we submit He's the very wisdom and power of God, the Scripture says to us. And another part, the Scripture says about Jesus, that He's our wisdom, He's our righteousness, He's our sanctification, He's our redemption. He's our wisdom. It's through Jesus that we understand. It's through Jesus that we understand who we are. And as we trust Him, He's glorified in our trusting of Him to believe who we are. He comes to us, and in the midst even of our own pride and selfishness and self-centeredness, he says, you love darkness rather than light. I don't know if that was a surprise to you when it first dawned on you that that was true of your life, that you weren't just an average good old American. Maybe you were. But that being an average good old American wasn't all that helpful. But when the Savior comes and in truth says, you love darkness rather than light, how oh, that brought light to your soul. But when he says, you know, the problem isn't in your freedom. The problem is in your bondage. You're in bondage to sin and you can't get out. And when he came to say that the problem of our lives isn't external, it isn't outside. It isn't somebody else's fault. It isn't somebody else's problem. The problem is on the inside, he said. It's not what's on the outside that defiles. It's what's on the inside that defiles. That's the source of it all. That's the source of our evil thoughts. That's the source of our pride. That's the source of our selfishness. That's the, that's the source of our lust. That's the 
source of our lying and our stealing. That's the source of injustice. That's the source of abuse. That's the source of, of hatred. All of that. He says it's really in you. And we are His glory when we believe that, when we say, yes, I really see that and admit that. But Jesus doesn't only come to reveal that concerning us. He comes to reveal, obviously, this truth about His Father, the very wisdom of God concerning concerning God. And He speaks to us of the holiness of God, thus the justice of God, and thus even as we understand our sin, we realize the trouble we're in under the wrath of God. But He doesn't stop there. He mentions to us, He, he, he convinces us, He shows us that this God is one who loves, and thus this one who loves has sent His Son, this one to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves in terms of obedience, this one to come and take the penalty for our sin so that we could be forgiven our sins. And He says, that is God. God loves in that way. Trust Him. And as we trust Him, He's glorified in us, you see, as we're saved because no one else could do that other than Jesus. He is our righteousness. It isn't what we've done. It's what He has done. He's the very wisdom of God. Who would have thought this? Who would have devised this way? Who could accomplish this other than Jesus? And so, He's glorified in us as we believe, as we trust. He's glorified in us as we receive the forgiveness of sins through Him. He is not glorified by our self-righteousness. He's not glorified by us saying, I'll do better next time. Um, I'll make up for what I did in the past. He's not glorified by that. He's glorified by one who's poor in spirit, who mourns over sin and says, I'm sorry. My fault. My sin. Forgive me. I trust you. He's not glorified by our self-pity. He's not glorified when we say, oh, that sin was so bad, there's no way the blood of Jesus could cover that sin. I guess I'll just have to live in the guilt of that sin for the rest of my life. He's not glorified by that. He came to take that sin. He came to take that guilt. He came to cleanse us. And so when we receive this cleansing, He's glorified in us. And as we walk as forgiven ones, He's glorified in and through us. He isn't glorified by self-righteousness. He's not glorified by self-pity. He's glorified by the humble spirit that receives forgiveness and rejoices in it and gives Him thanks and walks in the midst of all of that. He's glorified. Not only in that, but He's glorified in our thanks and praise when we turn to Him and we say honestly, genuinely, thank You for that. And we worship Him. Because you see, that thanks comes, as we've said so many times, not by a comparison between what we, what we, what we have and, and, and what we want, but it comes from a comparison between what we have and what we deserve to have. And what we deserve to have, quite honestly, we know, is hell. And He gives us heaven. What we deserve is death. And He gives us life. What we deserve is to be estranged from Him. He adopts us into His family. It's an amazing thing, this Jesus. And all that He does. And when we know that, when we really come to grips with what we deserve, and we really come to grips with what He's given us, we realize grace, we realize it's really a gift, we realize He really has given it to us, we realize if He hasn't, hadn't given it to us, we'd be sunk because we'd still be in the deserve column, and therefore, it's real thanks. And, and I know us. I know it's hard to engage that every Sunday. 
It really is. I mean, if we could engage that every Sunday, oh my, we wouldn't be Presbyterian. No, we probably would be. But, but we'd be, who knows? I mean, we'd actually smile, you know, when we came to church. Uh, it'd be fun. We'd, 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 yes, I get it. Right? But, but, but it's hard to engage that. I admit that. But, but when we engage that, you see, he's glorified through our thanks. And there are moments for each of us. Sometimes it's Sunday, sometimes it's not. When we engage that, we give him thanks. He's glorified through us, isn't he? At that moment. He's glorified even when we show up, even when we haven't engaged it, because we know we should engage it and want to, but it just isn't there. So he's glorified in the midst of even our gatherings and singing and coming together. He's glorified in the midst of our thanks. I have have lists of things through which he's glorified. So let me just run through these. Think of these things. He's he's glorified uh, when we desire to walk in holiness, to follow him as our Lord, to seek him more through the scriptures. He's glorified in that when we seek our wisdom from the very word of God. Even as we pray, as we hit our knees, as we bow before him, uh, he's glorified. He's reflected in us. Even in public, as you go to restaurants, and, and you just bow for a moment. He's glorified with people giving him thanks. And even as others are able to observe that, it may be that they're pulled to him in some way to raise, oh, there's a thankful person. For what are they thankful? Well, certainly that food. But, but it goes way beyond that if we have an opportunity to speak to them. Uh, he's glorified as we love each other, as he's loved us. He's glorified as we love our enemies as he has loved us, even when we were his enemies. He's glorified in that. He's glorified when we, when we put him on, when, we, when we, we come to grips, really, with our sin, and we recognize it, and we repent of it, and we ask for help that we might resist it. He's glorified in us when, by the Spirit, we overcome our greed and give, when we overcome our lust and actually love when we overcome the world's lure to power and to prestige, and we live honest, meek lives. Not weak, but meek. Understanding who we are really. That we need Him, that we trust Him, and that He is with us, and that we're dependent upon Him. He's glorified glorified in us when we're not judgmental, but when we're gracious, as He is with us. He's glorified in us when we make decisions for our family that fly in the face, perhaps, of the values of our culture concerning popularity, concerning prestige, concerning wealth. When we make decisions for the lives of our kids. When we vote our conscience that what we believe will be the best for the country, being informed by Christ rather than what would simply enrich us or make our lives more convenient. He's glorified in us when we find great joy in how he's defined us to be, as to live in his image. We find great joy in how he's defined us in our sexuality, as male and female, husbands and wives. Great joy in obeying his commandments. He says, my commandments aren't a burden to you. His commandments are to be our joy. Following His commandments is eternal life. That's the goodness of life. 
following after him. And he says, it shouldn't be a burden, but rather a joy to you. And so when we joyfully follow after him, then he's glorified in us. And when we reflect him by love, by peace, by patience, by kindness, by gentleness, by faithfulness, by self-control, he's glorified in us. And he's glorified in us when we, as his people, manifest his rule, his kingdom, as we take it. He's glorified in us so that when we see hunger, we move to alleviate that hunger. Why? Because that's the kingdom of God. What is to come is a place where there is no hunger, a place where there is no poverty, a place where there is no loneliness, a place where there is no sickness. Right? And so as kingdom people, where we go, we should be bringing these kingdom things, these kingdom values, these kingdom principles, bringing the manifestation, manifesting the very kingdom of God. So we go where there's hunger, we should try to alleviate that. We go there's sickness, we should try to bring health. Go where there's hatred, we should try to bring love and peace. When we go where there's abuse, we should try to bring justice. When we go where there's poverty, we should try to bring sufficiency. And Christ is glorified in us. He's glorified in us in the way that we die. It's people who are trusting Him. And the day will come when this glory will be brought to fruition, when everything will reflect Him. And it's then that we'll really see it. It's then that we'll be engaged 24-7 times We'll be engaged at that point. We'll see it. And then we'll give thanks. And then we'll have put on Christ. And then we'll see all that He has done. And everything will be summed up in Him. And everything will glorify Him. And we will be the very glory of Christ. Two points. One I made, but this one. When you get up in the morning, sometime early in your day, engage. Speak to your own soul. It's biblical in this. Psalms, the psalmists often speak to their souls. Speak to your own soul and say to your soul, I am one in whom Christ is glorified. And let that inform all of your days. When you're flipping stations on the TV, this happened to me just the other day, I said, I'm the glory of Christ. I can't watch this. It will inform what you say. Christ is glorified in me. How could I say that? And you see, even as, as we walk through the course of a day, we must, for instance, be forgiving people. How would we confuse the gospel if we're not forgiving people? Because we claim that the very guts of, of what Christ has done for us is to forgive us. How can we not be a forgiving people? If we're not forgiving, people will miss entirely that aspect of the gospel. How can we not be a merciful people when the very guts of the gospel is the mercy of God shown to us? He saw us in our sin. He saw us in our weakness. He saw us in our need. And he came. How, how can we not be merciful people? Won't that confuse the gospel to have a group of evangelicals who aren't merciful? That'd be another survey question. Could evangelicals not be merciful? We'd screw that one up too, I'm sure. How is it that we cannot be loving when He has so loved us? How can we not be peacemakers when He's brought peace to us? 
So in the course of the day, set that, set your mind on that. Understand yourself to be. I need to understand myself to be a person through whom Christ is glorified at the end of the day. Ask yourself, how is it that Christ is glorified today for your As a church, we need to continue to ask the question, how is it that Christ is glorified for us? How is it that He's seen through us? Yes, He's seen, He's glorified through us as we worship. He's glorified through us as we teach. He's glorified through us as we gather. He's glorified as we love. He's glorified as we care. He's glorified as we go out into the world and, 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 and live this out. We must make sure that he is. All of this has its source that night that Jesus was betrayed. And that's a word, isn't it, right there? Betrayed. Very son of man. Betrayed. By one who had his, his confidence. By one who was a friend. Betrayed. And the night that he was betrayed, took bread Jesus did. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me the same way. Also, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he gave this to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And the apostle adds, as often as we eat this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes that's it. We're to glorify Him. Which means, we're to proclaim with our lives, with our lips, with our church, the Lord's death. Something's happened. In history, something's happened. To come to bring forgiveness of sins, to come to reconcile people to God, to come to enable them to walk with Him. And our lives and our lips and everything about us needs to reflect. I pray that now, Jesus, as you take this bread and this juice, and it's always going to be bread and juice, but I pray you take it and you separate it out in such a way and through the mystery of your wonderful work of grace. That you would separate this bread and juice out in such a way, Jesus, that when we come to this table and we take it, we'll be fellowshipping with you, the very presence among us, your very presence among us. I pray that you strengthen us. And I pray that you give us deep understanding of who you are and what you've done. And how you've been so kind to us, so gracious to us. Save us, to call us to yourself. And how to say, I'm glorified. Enable us, I pray, to reflect you, Jesus. All we think, all we say, all we do, Individually, corporately. In Jesus' name. Amen. I remind you that this table isn't the table of grace, evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's the table of the Lord. He invites to it all those who humble themselves before Him and know their own sin. Know themselves to be sinners in His sight without hope except for the sovereign mercy. We believe and depend upon Jesus as He's offered to us in the gospel as we say that as sinners, our wisdom. With our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. 
with all those who desire therefore to, to be one through whom Christ glory is shown. That's true to you, I invite you to come. These two sections can come down the aisle to my left, these two come the aisle to my right. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. Eat it when you do, let every bell and whistle go off in your head to say, Christ is glorified in you.